Hello and welcome to the Disruptors podcast. This is the third part in the mini-series with the conversation and interview with the most hated, polarizing, controversial human being on the planet, Andrew Tate. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please go back and listen, though if you have, let's just get straight into this part three with Andrew Tate. But remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So this is called Challenging Andrew Tate, where at times you've been challenged. Sure. And so I wanted to get your side of it. And there's one from me I'd like to challenge you on. Just one. Can't wait. (laughs) So um, was Piers Morgan the worst interviewer you've ever experienced? I knew what he was going to do. I don't think I lost. In fact, when my team sent me the report that, I think it was three days later, 99.4% of all comments on the YouTube video are positive for me. So certainly a PR win. How did, when you say you knew what he was going to do, was it discussed or you just know what his angle is? I know what his angle is. And also before the interview, he's quite clever. Before the interview, he goes, listen, I've got some points of view where I'm going to challenge you, but we need to make sure that we don't talk over each other, make that shouting match or it's bad for the viewer. So if I talk, let me talk. And that's him saying, I'll talk over you. Correct. <laughs> that's how it gets you. So um, clever, right? Filthy bastard. Clever. <laughs> clever. I think the only loser was, besides him, he lost. The viewer. And the viewer because I never got to explain anything. So it was kind of just like frustrating to watch. Yeah. So I won from a PR perspective by all observable metrics. It was a good interview for me. Mm. So to say he's the worst interviewer, well, the idea of doing an interview is that you come off good. I came off fantastically. In fact, it was one of my best performances and I barely fucking spoke. So (laughs) So it could be the best. It could be the best. So it depends how you measure it. Because as I said, my team analyzed it in real time. All the comments are on my side. So perhaps he is the best, but the viewer certainly lost. Yeah. I'm going to just say it. It really pissed me off <laughs> because, like, I'm not as big as an interviewer as him, yeah. but then I've got other business interests. Sure. This is my hobby. Sure. But I thought that was one of the worst interview performances I've seen because he didn't let you speak. He put words into your mouth. He set you up. Yeah. He linked some really fucking nefarious things and tried to link you to them, yeah. probably to grow his own channel, which is fledgling. Yeah. I thought it was terrible. Yeah, it was, an, it was an attempted hit job. It was an attempted assassination that failed and backfired. He assassinated his own character another time. I mean, he, he's already put a bunch of nails in his own coffin, and he just put another one in. Uh, if, if the social media comments were 50-50, I'd be very frustrated and angry because it was so unfair. Yeah. But because it came out so fantastic in my favor, all I can do is all is well, all's well <laughs> that ends well. Yeah. So when I got the report from my team and they said 99.4%, I was like, well, then he fucked up, didn't he? Yeah. Like, in my mind, as we were planning to come here, it's like, if you're going to interview Andrew Tate, the biggest fucking mistake you could make is not let him speak. Yeah. What You don't interview Andrew Tate to fucking speak the whole time. Is that not just yeah, it's, 101? It's true, especially as I speak so much and I speak in such long form. But, yeah, I think he knew what he was doing, and he was trying to link me to uh, a little girl who committed suicide, yeah, that, which is disgusting. Yeah. Or trying to link me to Alex Jones's point of view yeah. specifically. Like I said, and I said to him, I don't know the point of view of you, all of your points of view. I don't know all the points of view of anybody I've ever done a podcast with. What's the point you're trying to make, Piers? So, Piers, I don't know all of your points of view. Aren't you the piece of shit who was hacking people's phones for the Daily Mail? Aren't you the piece of shit who was telling everyone on Twitter they don't better get 17 injections or they're a terrible person? Aren't you the guy who was completely wrong about the thing we just discussed, who's never apologized for it, and forcing people to take experimental drugs, you piece of shit, Piers? So I don't agree with most of the shit you say, so I don't know what kind of trap you're trying to lay here, young old man. But uh, he got wrecked. And the social media comments ensure he got wrecked. And maybe he's an all right person off camera. Don't know. Didn't speak mm. to him much. But me and Piers, actually, I don't know if he knew this. I don't know if he recognized me. Me and him have been disagreeing on things for a very long time. We used to be arguing on Twitter way back before I got banned, like five years ago. Mm. Uh, so me and Piers have never really got along. I think Piers is a flip-flopper. 
I think he flip-flops on issues a lot. But he also did say I don't deserve to be banned on another interview separate to me, even though on my one he said I deserve to be banned. Maybe it's just his style. But, you know, he has also got a platform somehow, so he must be doing something right. I don't mm. know. What can I say? But I certainly won by the observable metrics, and that's what matters. Is OnlyFans a good way to make a living? <sighs> that's a complicated question. I can't sit here and promote women doing OnlyFans. I don't think there's anything actually intrinsically wrong with it. I think it's supply and demand. I think that if you have a product that men want, let them buy it. I think that the world is changing more digitized anyway. Everything's digital. Your friends are digital. Your business is digital. So you may as well have your girlfriend digital. That's just how life is for a lot of men. But to sit here and encourage women to do it would be semi-degenerate. But I don't think in and of itself it is bad if it's approached purely from a financial perspective with the right checks and balances in place. If you're a girl, you have a man, you're in love with that man, you're loyal to that man. There's men who buy pictures of you, who never see you, who don't know your real name, who live far away. And now you and your man get to be financially secure, build a home, have a nice family. I can't say it's a bad thing. Do you actually like property? I'm confused here because I've seen a lot of content where you talk about not owning your own home. Um, but you talk about having property. So do you like property or not? I've also talked, seen you talk about seizure of property rights. Yeah. So do you like property or not? Well, firstly, the reason I say rent your own home is because it allows you to be flexible. I think that the most adaptable of the species survive and rent is very flexible. It's flexible because one, you can move easily. Maybe you get a job opportunity in Japan, you have to bounce. Or maybe your country is about to lock down because of the common cold and you don't want to be stuck in your house. Rent is flexible. Or you can move out and rent it out. Completely. Well, that, that's well, that's if you own it, right? We yeah. can go into that, but then you have to find a tenant. Well, that's easy. Well, perhaps that is I've easy. I've got 1,250 of them. Okay, perfect. Then, then let me change it. Then perhaps you don't want to have anything to do with that country anymore and you have to sell it and that's not quick, right? Another flexibility you have with rent is not paying it. You know, you know, I've got tenants who don't do that. <laughs> you know better than me the, the law in the West. Well, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't have to pay it for pro, six months. Pro-tenant, yeah. So you can just not pay it. Yeah. So maybe you're in a situation where... But you can also vent a tenant, vet a tenant properly and then... Correct. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, we're talking about flexibility. Darwin said the most adaptable of the species survives. This remains true. If you own a home, you are obliged to do X things. You can't not pay the mortgage, you lose the home. If you own the home, you have to upkeep it, etc. I'm saying if you rent a house, you can move if you get a better opportunity. You can move if the government becomes tyrannical or if crime gets out of control or something happens in your area which you're never going to know. And thirdly, the, a serious option is not paying it. And I don't, want people to, I don't want people to misunderstand me here. I'm not saying don't pay your rent. I'm saying if you have some information, let's say, let's, the bull run that just happened, all that crap's over. But people were making money from the thin, from, from thin air for crypto. Let's say you had some reliable information from people you trusted. Let's say those people have been right 100% of the time. And they said if you bought a particular coin, it was going to 1,000x. You could have missed rent for a month. You could have paid it later. That's flexibility, right? So flexibility is also super important. So I always say the average person should rent where they live. I know that's strange because not everyone can rent. Someone has to own it. The people who own houses need to own them the way you own. If you own 1,250, you're doing very well. The way I own a house, it's not a mortgage. It's just give me this, beep, put on the card, bank, done, I own it, done. I don't live there. There's no work for me. If I had to sell it, I'd never need to sell it quick. I never need the money fast. Mm. It's something, okay, it's just an asset. But that's why I say most people should rent until they're wealthy enough to buy it in cash. If you can't buy a house outright in cash, you shouldn't buy it. And even then, if you buy it, you need to be very careful. You need to make sure that that government is never going to turn on you, that area is never going to become downtrodden, and also understand that owning a house isn't free. 
There's property taxes, there's maintenance, there's upkeep. A lot of the time, by the time you pay all that shit, it's not far off rent. Why would you not turn the bank system on themselves and get a mortgage on the property and leverage the bank's money and then have a better opportunity cost of capital rather than buying houses for cash? Absolutely, sure, that is a way you could do things. But now you're indebted to a bank. And it's fine if you have money from the sky, you can make money anywhere, that's fine, right? But if you are working a job, let's say in central London, and you owe money to this bank now because you've done it this way, that bank has a degree of control over you. You can't just quit your job. You can't just move. It's, it, things become very complicated. It just destroys your flexibility. I, I, I'm not, I'm, to answer your question earlier, I don't own any property. I don't own anything. I don't own, I own this suit, and that's it. I don't own any property. Some friends of some trusts with some companies which are registered from Singapore may own some property. Right. That I, so you have that some, I have the keys to, but I don't own anything. So you have some assets under your control that are property, but you don't own them. I don't have any. The Matrix hates me. I don't have any. <laughs> but I have some keys to some houses. But, and yeah, of course, they appreciate. Of course, you can rent them. I completely get it. Mm. But the, the truth is this. Property, like many other things, is very successful for some. But for most, I think it wrecks them. It's player versus player, like I said, in everything. Doesn't matter if it's a cryptocurrency, which you buy at a dollar and sell at $10. If you sold at $10, someone bought at $10. Mm. Someone gets wrecked. It's the same with property. You've done fantastically well from it. Congratulations. My property has never lost me a penny. Sorry, if I owned property, it would have never lost me a penny. Congratulations to me. But there's a whole bunch of people who get up, finish university, get a mortgage they can barely afford, work their ass off, pay huge interest rates, sitting there paying, 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 and either a financial crisis comes and wrecks them, or they lose the home in the end because they couldn't keep up with the payments, or they finally get it paid off and they're so old that their life's fucking shit anyway. So property is not the be all and end all mm. to anything. And in fact, I would recommend to most people, and if you look at most people's finances out here on the street, if you were to take a thousand people who are watching this right now and look at their finances, 950 of them would be stupid to buy a house. There's 50, it's a good idea. Mm. But for the majority, it's not. Could you say that about any, sorry to interrupt sure. you, so I think it's the first time in three hours, so no, sorry. No, no um, couldn't you say that about a, a thousand set of case studies of any human being? Yes, you A thousand could. of them shouldn't go to your martial arts class because only 50 of them will survive. Y yes, you could. But the difference is the matrix tries very hard to push the idea of property. Some of the other things. But you can play the matrix at its own game. Completely, 50 of them can, 950 can. And this is my point. My point is that the matrix says do property, do property, do property. That is only applicable to a very small percentage. It's not applicable to everybody. The matrix doesn't say do other things that are applicable to everybody. No. It tells everybody the same blueprint. And that blueprint used to be applicable to a lot more people. I don't think this was actually as deliberate as people understand. 50, 60 years ago, property was fantastic for almost everybody. One year's wage, you get a house. That house cost 75 grand. Now it's 450 grand. Fantastic, you did good, absolutely. It's different now that the horse, the house is 450 grand, you're earning 40 grand a year. Now it's a very different scenario. So when your parents or older people say, yeah, do property, it was great back then. Now I don't think it's nearly as, as competitive as it was. I think that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. I think the poor are getting outpriced of most assets. I think that some of the biggest mistakes poor people can make or middle income people can make is chase assets they can't simply, simply can't fucking afford. Mm. And the only way they can do it is to indebt themselves to a bank with interest and enslave themselves for X amount of years, destroy their flexibility to try and parallel off owning one property and owning one ain't gonna make you rich anyway. Mm. You gotta own as many as you do. And what I'm saying is, there's a small percentage of people who benefit from property, just like there's a small percentage of people who benefit from crypto yeah. or stocks. How many people lose in the stock market? Most. Exactly. How many people lose in Forex? Nearly all. All. Correct. Yeah. 
So this is the same with every investment. But the reason I'm only attacking property is because property is the one everyone says is safe as houses, good for everybody. No, it is not. It depends on your circumstance. Mm. That's my problem with property. In my scenario, your scenario, how can we lose? Mm. If I buy a house for five million and I'm never, ever, ever gonna need that money, I can wait until the day I die to sell it, then I'm always gonna make money. <laughs> mm. I don't, I go, oh, the property prices have crashed to three million. Then I don't sell it. Yeah. Who cares? Mm. It doesn't matter to me. If I had a mortgage on it, it'd matter. It was my only property, it'd matter. If inflation is 20% and my wages is going up 1% a year, all this shit matters. But not to me, mm. not to you. We're the, we're the 50. But 950 people here need to join the real world and learn how to make money a different way. Because we teach you how to make money with nothing. Mm. If you make money with nothing, you can't lose. That's the beauty of it. Mm. You can lose if you invest in a house. You can't lose if you don't spend any money. But if you raise money from other people because money is infinite and everywhere yeah. and partner up with someone and put that into property, yeah. that's money out of thin air. And then you buy, hold, die, you can't lose. To a degree. Uh, and inflation. One thing we haven't talked about yet. You have more good debt mortgages. Yeah. Inflation's paying 20% that down a year for absolutely, you. Absolutely. Absolutely not true. And I'm not going to sit here and say that everybody who's ever bought a house has lost. I only talk about this because the majority of my audience are 18 to 25, 26. Mm. They're being told by people much older than them that they, they buy a house to be financially secure. And I'm telling them that that is simply not the case. Mm. And also, there's a bunch of intangible disadvantages, like the absolute inflexibility of the house. I don't know in your experiences, but people I know have spent two, three years trying to sell a house. Two years is eternity. Eternity. Two years ago, we were locked in our houses. Mm. Two years ago is forever. So if you're going to accept that degree of inflexibility, if you're going to accept that degree of obligation, I think for many people that is a mistake. I think there's better ways to make money. And I think that renting is a lot safer for, for people. Especially now we're living in a world where a lot of money is made online. I have so many people who can make money online. If you're making money online, even living in a Western country is stupid. Go to Thailand. Live for a fraction. Be safer. <laughs> Not get stabbed. Like even living in the West in general is dumb if you're making money online. And more and more people are. So my, over, my, my point is nuanced. There's absolutely exceptions to the rule. There's absolutely scenarios in which I'm totally wrong. It's a nuanced point. I'm trying to condense and I'm mm. saying that property used to be the cure-all for everybody. Get a normal job, work in a factory, pay off your house, be good. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. No, pen yeah. pension money is not going to be yours, is it? Yeah, exactly. It's not like that anymore. And also, what did we say earlier about competitiveness? We said that there are people out there in the world competing with me and there's people out there in the world competing with you. You're a property shark. You just said it. You're an animal. They're competing with you. Like you can pay more for it and overpay for it because you know you're going to have whatever. You can you can uh, buy the houses next door and put shit tenants in them. You're, like if you want to fuck somebody, you could. So they're also competing with sharks. And this is the point I'm making. The reason I, I'm anti-property is because often it's a 24-year-old guy who just got his first good job at uni. He might be able to, if he doesn't, if he eats ramen noodles for the next 15 years, pay off this fucking council terrace house in Liverpool. And I'm like, bro, mm. that is not going to save your life. You're going to be 50 in a, in a shit house. That's so, dumb. So are you saying to earn your money from a standing start, putting money into property is probably not good, but when you've got wealth, parking it into property is good? Correct. I think that if you have a lot of wealth, parking your money into assets in general is mm. good. I think that property is a pretty safe asset overall, globally. It does go through some ups and downs, but property performs. You know, It's certainly a fantastic place. I think as a way to generate wealth, there's some people who say it can be done. That's fine but I think it's very inflexible. I've always preferred flexibility. I think we now live in a world where a lot of money can be made online, a lot of money can be made from a phone, a lot of money can be made from a computer. And also, this all ties back into the very beginning where I said the ultimate bottom line of the world is violence. 
property seizure is a perfect example. You mentioned property, property mm. seizure. But surely that's, the la that's something I wanted to ask you. I feel like that's the last thing they'll take before a full-on fucking war. Like, they'll take everything else first. They'll, they'll call in the gold. They'll, you know, debase money. That, that'll all happen before your fucking house. Well, if they're going to do it to the whole population, I agree. But if they're going to do, an in, in, if they're going to do it to an individual, I disagree. Mm. Yeah, if well, you don't pay yeah. your parking ticket, they'll take your house. Sooner or later, mm. might take might, may take a year, may take two years. They will take your house. Mm. So my question is this: Do you own it? This is my problem with property. I own my house. Do you? If they can take it off you anytime you annoy them. No. If you don't do pay you? your mortgage for three months, you'll see you own your house. Yeah, yeah that's right. If yeah. you don't pay your taxes, see you own your house. If you don't wear a mask when they tell you to, and you get a fine for not wearing a mask, and you think that's injustice, and you don't pay the fine, and they add money to the fine, then it goes to court. You're supposed to turn up. You don't. They send a bailiff. You tell the bailiff to get fucked. They will take your house. So if you don't wear a mask, they take your house. So do you own it? This is a philosophical question and you can answer. Do you feel like you own your property? Because I would argue that you don't own shit. Um, philosophically, I don't think I own anything. Well, I, I would actually disagree with that again. I think that there are things you can own in this world. Well, philosophically though, you said philosophically. Okay, well, like, when, I'm, philosophical... when I'm dead, I'll own nothing. Well, that's true. Okay, then it was a hypothetical argument. It's a hypothetical yeah. point I'm making. When people say I own property. No, I, I agree with you because uh, I answered your question yeah. philosophically. Yeah. Don't think I own anything. You don't own your own property either as a, a structure. That's all we'll say. Uh, no, I don't think I own my property. I think I own the income it creates Correct. and the capital appreciation I get. I would say you own the income it creates when it's not in a bank, when it's in your hand for a while. You own it. Yeah. But yeah, well, I always take it from, I always take the income. You know, the income comes to me. Now, obviously, if what happened to you happened to me, then you wouldn't own it. Then I could be fucked. Yeah, you wouldn't own the property. If you got cancelled to the level I got cancelled, you would own none of that property and you would not own the income either because your bank would be frozen. You would what, own none what, of it. what if the assets weren't in my name? Well, then you'd be, you might be okay. Mm. But this is my point. My point is when someone, but you're a shark who can afford complicated legal structures. Mm. Joe Schmo is getting a mortgage in his name. But you, te you teach Joe shows to become sharks, don't you? That's what you do. That's the goal, yeah. But mm. I, this is what, when, when I say I'm anti-property, it's because of the exact scenario I described earlier. 24-year-old, mm. buying a house, getting a mortgage in his name, he owns it, da-da-da. And I say, listen, my friend, one, that's not gonna make you rich. Two, you don't even own it. Mm. But I mean, owning, own it. owning it though, like what's that all about? Why does it matter if you own it? I, I Like you have a lot of cars, I don't have 30, but I think I have yeah. six or seven. I don't own a lot of them. I don't own my Aventador. Yeah. I don't own it. I don't want to own it. Completely. I understand and that there's a financial benefit to doing that. I get it. But property is something different because your cars are a toy and property is supposed to be an investment. And the point is, is that the whole idea of home ownership is a false paradigm. They're, they're I, I think we're now moving towards saying the same thing because I agree. I think selling you of getting into debt, the average American pays £600,000 in their lifetime in interest. The, the house that they've got you in debt in is a trap and then you pay half of your money in tax and then you pay 600000 in your yeah. life in interest. Yeah. I think liberation is when you turn property into an investment. I agree with you. I'm, for me, it's just a philosophical thing where I think that anything that can be taken off of you, you don't own. So for me, once again, you're in a unique scenario as am I, but if you're Joe Schmo, owning it is never gonna make you rich in any considerable serious amount of time. 20 years from now, you might get hit by a bus, that's forever. I don't think that long term. All of my plans are three to four months maximum. And the benefit of renting it versus ownership, well, you can get kicked out either way and you lose all your flexibility. What's the point? Mm. Now, once you, have, once you sit in there going, I have $7 million in the bank, I don't know what to do with it. Sure, buy some property. Of course, put together a complicated legal structure and own some property. Absolutely. Mm. But I don't think that applies to most people who come to me and say, my mom said I should buy a house. Well, you're a dummy. Your mom did something that doesn't work anymore. 
and you're still a dummy. Mm. Hi, it's Rob again, and remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Have you yet joined the Rob.team platform? You can join on Facebook or on my native Rob.team membership area. For just five pounds or $5 a month, cancel any time. You get 10 pieces of premium content from me a month. Supporter and team only events, meetups and social dinners. Supporter only ask me anything lives with me every two weeks. About five or six, uh, seven day challenges a year, make cash challenges, social media challenges, competitions and prizes. You get discounts and premium ticket upgrades to special events we run. Many of those are supporter only. You get content updates from my three Facebook account managers um, on Instagram and Facebook uh, changes and hacks. You get recordings of all webinars and live stream content I do, which I don't offer out to the public. You get an extra 10% of any and all of my trainings, even the best discounts. You also, if you're one of the first 60 people to go to www.rob.team, get a 15 minute one-to-one call with me. And once you've done your first month subscription, I'll be doing those in order. And if you're one of the first 256 people, you get into a supporters team only WhatsApp uh, group. You get my mobile number and we share strategies and tactics. You also get bonuses updated every two weeks. Things like how to write a best-selling book course already in there. Um, all my marketing KPIs that you can use to measure and master your business, how to dramatically increase your fees, um, pre-book PDF documents, my six-stage seven-figure launch course, which was a previously paid-for course for about 500 people online. So you get all that updated regularly. Go right now to www.rob.team. See you there, and you can join either on Facebook if, you're, if that's your social media platform of choice, or on the specially uniquely built platform that I have created just for you. I think you're gonna love it. www.rob.team. Thing is, sometimes your parents love you so much they give you bad advice. Well, they give you the advice that worked for them. Yeah. Like, and I don't blame them, it's worked for them. So absolutely, why would they believe it doesn't work anymore? They were putting money in a savings account and getting interest on the money, like four or 5% interest on the money, and then buying a house for one year's salary that went up 10X. I'm sure it sounds like a great idea. Imagine if it was still that way right now, I'd tell everyone to buy a fucking house, but it, <laughs> but it isn't. And then you add into the fact that the government is getting more and more tyrannical. You add into the fact that violence is the bottom line. You add into the fact they will take your fucking house off you. What do they do in Canada to the truckers? When the can- Canadian truckers got tired of COVID, yeah. they went and they protested and they lost their houses and lost their cars and lost their fucking pets. They euthanized their dogs. You know that? I didn't know that. They I, euthanized I, their dogs. I knew that they um, clawed money out of bank accounts. They euthanized their dogs and stole their money from their bank accounts. So a man, a man who worked his entire life driving across Canada in a truck, who was a proud homeowner, found out very fucking quickly that you don't own anything. It's a scam. Mm. So for me, especially as somebody in my situation, my precarious situation, which we've described at length, somebody who is an enemy of the matrix, considering that property is the most controlled matrix asset that exists, considering that if they could take it off me, they fucking would. I need to find assets which are very, very difficult to seize. Decentralized hard assets, you mean? Just, there are a whole bunch of things in the world which are actually very difficult to take. Like? And and property is not one of them. Yeah. There's other things. Like? One is people not knowing you own things. Yeah. Protecting the fact that you even own it. And which is shut we, people like me up asking about it on podcasts. Well, exactly. That's <laughs> that's the first. That that's the answer, right? It, it, one is protecting the fact that you own it. I mean, I don't know about your particular scenario, but in Florida, uh, during COVID, not Florida, sorry, in America during COVID, in California and in Canada, they were piercing LLCs. They were piercing LLCs to own, see who owns the LLC to seize the property. So once again, the law 
says, if it's owned by a company, that they can't take it or they can't see who owns the property in the company. Yes, they fucking can't. Piss them off. Yeah. If you piss them off, they'll throw all the rules out the window. Same reason they're going to kill me. The rule, murder's bad. But they throw the rules out the window when you annoy them. Mm. So this is my exact point. So I just personally could never sleep at night knowing, oh, I got 100 million in property. I'm good. Because I'd be like, I don't have anything. I am. I have to be quiet and I have to be careful. And if they don't like me, they'll get me. That to me doesn't feel like ownership. Ownership is they can't take that off of me. Mm. That's true ownership. So you don't own property. It's a scam. It's a mm. lie. I enjoyed that discussion. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you can't make a bunch of money from it. I'm not even saying that. I'm just, yeah. it's just, it's just a, You're it's more talking about people who don't have a lot of disposable tying a noose around their head of owning their own home. Correct. And yeah. then being in a position where they might lose it anyway if they don't completely live their life as a slave and pay every fucking parking ticket. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm. I mean, because how do they really enforce parking tickets? I'll, I'll give you, let me give you a quick story. I bought an Aston Martin DBS three months ago. I pulled up outside the hotel. I bought it in London. I pulled up at the hotel. I parked in the double yellow. I left it there. Traffic warden was right there. So I'm going to give you a ticket. And I said, bro, have you ever seen James Bond look for parking? <laughs> give me a fucking ticket. Don't care. Put a ticket on it. Went in the hotel. Stayed in the hotel. For, stayed in the, come on, I'm busy. Stayed in the hotel for four days. Ticket, ticket, ticket. It came out to a window. It was on my Instagram before they deleted it. A window of tickets. <laughs> now, how do they enforce those tickets? Well, we said they'll take your home off you, right? I don't own anything. I don't even own that car. And the car's not in the country anymore. It's sitting in my house in Bulgaria. So now what the fuck are you going to do? So I got thousands and thousands of pounds of parking tickets, and guess what happened? Nothing. Zero. Because I don't play by the stupid rules the Matrix tells me to play by. If I was Joe Schmo and I ignored them, I would lose my home. But me, I could turn up, tell them to get fucked, and do whatever I want. And what you'll actually learn is that much like parking tickets, pretty much all laws on earth and all rules on earth have an economic, there's an economic level to which you must adhere and there's an economic level to which you don't have to adhere. Anything that's financial in and of itself is basically saying it's okay for rich people to do anyway. Mm. Let's, agree, let's say I agreed to pay the fine. Cool. I didn't have to look for parking. I paid three grand. That's worth five minutes of my time. So it's basically saying it's okay for a price. So it's okay for rich people. It's not okay for poor people. Whenever there's a fine as a punishment, they're basically saying no poors, no brokies, or rich people can do it. Look at banks. They make billions of dollars breaking the rules and pay a million dollar fine. It's okay for the rich. It's not allowed to do it poor. If you do that, if you pull off some fraud as a brokey, guess what happens? Jail time. Do the bankers go to jail? Fucking never. This is the whole way the whole entire world works. So extrapolating that out, yes, at a certain economic level, there are things you can do and Aikido you can pull that make property fantastic. But as a brokey, it's bullshit. Mm. That's the point I'm making. Is the gender pay gap real? No. Why not? Because women choose jobs which are generally lower paying because they choose jobs they're more passionate about and interested in. And funnily enough, when you're interested in a job, it's probably not as hard as a job you're not interested in. If you're only going to do things you're interested in, they're going to be entertaining. And if they're entertaining, they're not going to pay you very much. I believe if the gender pay gap was real in the world we currently live in, as competitive as it is, there would be companies which only hire women because it would save a whole bunch of money. And you don't get that. I don't, I've seen this argue, I've seen this subject argued at length. I haven't had a job in so many years, I don't know. I know that if you ask 
the average woman, they certainly do believe in the gender pay gap. But my views are that one, women choose jobs they're more passionate about, which tend to be lower paying because you only pay somebody a bunch of money because they're doing something they basically don't want to do. That's the first thing. Uh, I believe that, like I said, if a company wanted to be competitive, it would only hire women. And I also believe that there's a lot of legislation that protects and makes sure that people are treated pretty fairly. And I don't think that women give up their whole lives for a job like a lot of men do. I think the reason a lot of men are CEOs is, one, because, yes, there's an argument that men have an evolutionary instinct to lead and perhaps are better pre, uh, predispositioned to lead because we're more emotionally stable. There is that argument. But truthfully, I know men like me who give up our entire lives to work. All we do is work. If we're awake, we work. It's all we do. I don't know a single woman like that. She sees the kids. She sees her friends. They're more emotionally rounded than us. They're more stable than us. They're probably a lot fucking happier. And they don't want to give up their entire existence to work. Why should they? I don't blame them, but that means they're not competitive. So if you're a company and you're trying to choose the best possible worker and you have a man who gives up his entire life to work and you have a woman who's had a few kids, wants to see her kids, do the school run, bake cakes, then she can't compete. So I don't think it's about gender. I think it's just about the amount of time invested in doing the actual job. Mm. Could you argue, for example, professional football, like women and men, they might put similar time in? Why is there such a disparity there with what they earn? I can absolutely argue that. Yeah. Do you know why women footballers get paid so little? No. I'll tell you why. Well, I'm asking you. I'm not being interviewed. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because women don't fucking support them. Men, male footballers get paid so much because men go and watch the male football. Women footballers get paid so little because women don't go and watch it. So blame the other chicks. That is a female problem. It's nothing to do with us. The reason that female footballers or female sports stars get paid less than male sports stars is because nobody wants to fucking watch. Because nobody cares. Now, it's not women who are supporting the male sports stars. It's men. So if your own gender has betrayed you, don't turn at us and say we were the problem. Don't turn to the patriarchy. No, it's not the patriarchy. It's your fellow females who have zero interest in watching you run around and kick a ball in that. That's why nobody pays you anything because nobody wants to fucking see it. Supply and demand. If nobody wants to watch it, nobody's going to fucking pay for it. So my argument there is very, very simple. No, the gender pay gap cannot be applied to sports because females have betrayed their own gender absolutely. So to sit there and try and blame men is asinine. So are you saying if there was equal support, there'd be equal demand? And as there would be equal demand, there would be equal pay? There'd be equal TV rights. There'd be mm. equal gates, gate sales. Sponsorships. Equal sponsorships, equal, equal ticket sales, equal merchandise, equal everything. How can it be equal when nobody buys shit related? Mm. What kind of stupid mindset is that? And this is what I'll say, gender pay gap, I play football, but nobody watches you play football. That's like me playing guitar in a room by myself and asking why I'm not paid the same as Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> nobody comes to my concerts. I'm on my own. I'm sitting there staring at a wall like a dummy. If you're going to go kick a ball around and nobody wants to see it, then don't complain when nobody wants to pay, pay you. Nobody wants to see it. It's not my fault nobody wants to see it. I don't want to see it. Do you want to see it? Tell the truth. How many, football, how many female football games have you watched in the last six months? Tell the truth. The um, Euro Cup final, that's it. And England won that. So one. Okay, one. Not bad. But yeah. well, well, me, it's a firm fucking zero. <laughs> and for most, it's a firm zero. Tough luck. That's life. However, let's flip it before I get called a misogynist. If you were to have a beauty pageant, the women get paid more than the men. Does anyone ever complain about that? No. But more men. Top 10 OnlyFans earners are all women. All women. So there's a whole bunch of industries where women can dominate. And there's a huge gender pay gap. Nobody complains about that. They only complain when it's the other way around. So they ignore half the argument, create a false paradigm, live inside the matrix, slave mind, ignore the truth, 
But the truth is there's places where women get paid so much more than men. And we don't complain about it because people want to see the women. But if people want to see the men, that's basic economics. Anybody who cannot possibly understand that is a lost soul. Mm. Have you ever taken steroids? Good question. And I want to say this on camera adamantly. And I want to say this straight to camera because if anyone ever finds out I'm lying, they'll crucify me. So that's why I'm going to say it this way. I swear on the memory of my father, I have never once in my life ever taken a steroid, ever. Not now, not ever. I'm not on TRT. I'm not on any kind of pills. I do not take creatine. I do not even drink protein shakes. I'm on zero steroids. Perhaps I'm genetically gifted. Perhaps I'm God's favorite, but I'm in fantastic shape. I smoke cigars. I eat meat. I drink a lot of coffee. And I do train every day, of course. That's what I'm supposed to. But I have never taken steroids, ever, ever. And even when they're talking about me fighting Logan Paul, he's a massive steroid head. I have that from inside information. People close to him have told me he's on lots of steroids. He'd have to piss in a cup before I consider destroying him because he takes loads of steroids. If I took steroids, I'd be an animal. I'd be huge. But I do not take steroids because I don't need them. So no, the answer is absolutely no. However, true Jordy can keep taking his steroids. I'll still beat the fuck out of him. I'm not going to give him an excuse. You don't have to piss in a cup, my friend. You just have to turn up. <laughs> fuck him. The time will come. God's retribution is swift and surprising. The time will come where he pays the price. <laughs> so I understand you say that, or have said, that depression isn't real. Um, why are there then over 700,000 suicides a year? Because they believe in depression. I think that when you believe in things, you give them power. It's amazing how you can self-hypnotize. I'm not saying feeling depressed is not real. Everyone feels depressed. I'm saying the idea of depression as something you cannot control is a dangerous idea and paradigm. The reason so many people are committing suicide is because the matrix is telling you that if you feel depressed, you cannot fix it. They tell you that depression is a disease that you can catch from the sky no matter how fantastic your life is and you have no control over it. And I argue that absolutely. The reason the matrix wants you depressed and sad is because when that happens, you are selfish. If you're depressed and sad, you only care about yourself. You don't care about your community or your family. You don't care about the world. You do not stand up for anything. You will accept being fucked in the ass like Drew Jordy. You'll accept any amount of garbage they want to give you, any matrix slave mind programming because you are too busy being sad to resist. This is why they tell you that when you are depressed, it is a disease. It is not a disease. You're depressed because your reality is depression. depressing. The truth is, if I lived the reality that most of these depressed people live, I'd be depressed. Your reality is depressing. You wake up, your wife doesn't love you, your kids don't respect you, there's no milk in the fridge, and you're almost dead. Of course you're depressed. You're running out of time. You never had any fun or adventure. Andrew Tate's out here with all these supercars living the life. We're here in Dubai doing a podcast. You're a brokey. Of course you're depressed. That's because your reality is depressing you. The depression is something deep in your heart and soul telling you that you need to change things. That is the unlimited trauma, the power I was talking about earlier that you can take. Take all of that depression and convert it into unlimited energy to fix your life. Energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be converted. Take the depression and turn it into motivation. And all of a sudden, You'll see how fantastic your life is. A guy emailed me saying he was depressed, he was going to kill himself. I said, listen, before you do that, get a six-pack. He said, what are you talking about? You're fat? Get a six-pack. If you still feel like killing yourself, good luck. By the time he sent me pictures of a six-pack, it was long emails thanking me how I saved his life. His, his reality was depressing. Of course you feel depressed if your reality is depressing. If your reality is fantastic, you won't feel depressed. I guarantee there's a whole bunch of people you can give a million dollars to and the depression will disappear. The argument against that is why do famous people kill themselves, which I'm about to answer in a second. And the answer to that is actually going into the broader point that the way the Matrix teaches about depression 
They're trying to teach you to be helpless. They're teaching you that you cannot fight against it unless you take pharmaceutical drugs. And I say that it is not real in that paradigm and that believing that is the case is going to destroy you. Having no hope will prevent you from fighting back. They're telling you it's hopeless and it is not. If you do not believe in depression, like I do not believe in depression, no matter what bad things happen to me and how bad and depressed I feel, I know I can fix it. That will make me fight harder than if I believe I cannot fix it. The reason that rich people kill themselves is because they buy into this paradigm completely. They go to a therapist and the therapist says, you have depression. It's not your fault. It's a disease that nobody can fix and I can't help and nobody can help. Then they give them a bunch of mind altering drugs. Then they sit them there in therapy to talk about all the bad thing that's ever happened to them. Let me tell you something. If someone told me that I felt shit and I couldn't help it, no matter what I did about my life, gave me a bunch of mind altering drugs and then sat me down to repeat all the bad shit that ever happened to me for hours and hours a day, I'd kill myself. It gets to a point where it just ain't fucking worth breathing anymore if you're gonna believe in that bollocks. But if you wake up and go, you know what? They're saying this is a disease, but I don't accept that paradigm. I don't believe in it. I believe that I can fix this myself. I believe if I change my reality and create an experience of life that I am absolutely not only really satisfied by, I will no longer feel depressed. You will cure most of your own problems. Take two men, put them in two individual haunted houses. Haunted houses. One believes in ghosts, one doesn't. There's a loud noise in the night. The one who believes in ghosts wakes up and is paranoid, is afraid, can't sleep, is sitting in the corner of the room shaking. The one who doesn't believe in ghosts goes back to sleep. It is the belief in the ghost which punishes him, not the ghost itself. If you do not believe in depression, you can never be depressed. That's why I don't believe in it. And to go into a broader point about all of that, I don't even give a shit if I'm wrong. Because I've adopted a mental model that makes me ultimately and utterly competitive in all realms of human endeavor. And if by me not believing in depression, I am better at fighting the idea of being depressed, if I am better at making myself feel happier, if I am better at regulating my emotions by not believing in an idea, then I'll continue to stay wrong. I do not believe in things that take power away from me. I believe in things that make me more powerful. I will not sit here and start believing in ideas that are going to reduce my competence. Absolutely or not, not. So I don't give a shit what scientist, doctor, I don't give a fuck who you put in front of me and try to convince me I'm wrong. I don't believe in it because I am more competitive in this realm. And for the people who believe, if you and I go through the same terrible experiences, the same level of heartbreak and trauma, I guarantee your belief will destroy you when mine won't. And why would you believe in an idea that is against you? Why would you let your own mind become your enemy? Don't people understand that the entire world, the entire matrix is against you? If you can't control your own mind, what chance do you have? Every single ounce of my body is on my side. My mind is my ally, all the way down to my feet, my fingers, every single part of me is absolutely and utterly on the same team. We are a united front against the enemies of freedom. How can I have my own mind betray me and tell me that I can't do something? I don't give a fuck if I decide to jump off this building. If I decide I'm not gonna die, I am not gonna die. My own mind will not betray me. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I believe that I stand a better chance of survival if I believe I will survive as opposed to thinking I will certainly die. People underestimate the power of the mind. I do not believe in anything that takes power away from me. And another thing I do not do is adopt the thinking of people who are sad. When I say this, depressed people send me long emails trying to convince me I am wrong. Why the fuck would I want to think like you when you don't want to live? Why would I want to think like you when you want to kill yourself and I'm perfectly fine? Adopting the thinking of somebody who doesn't want to live anymore is probably the most stupid, asinine, inane, childish, ridiculous thing a functioning adult can do. If you're depressed, I don't want to think anything like you. So take your opinion. 
and get fucked. Two more questions. We were talking as we walked in briefly about how the UK is fucked. Correct. So just, we agree. <laughs> we, shake we on that. Agree. We agree. <laughs> yeah, we agree. So do you want to just give us a little snapshot of your thought on the state of the UK, the politics in the UK, the, the, yeah, your thoughts? Sure. Empires rise and fall, civilizations decline. The, it's such a shame because the patriotic Brit in me is genuinely appalled at how it was the largest empire on earth. The good old World War II days, stiff upper lip. Britain was such a beautiful country. The countryside to this day is still beautiful if you can avoid the crime-ridden cities. It's truly a shame what's happened to that amazing nation. They have failed because they have abandoned their age-old traditions. They've abandoned their religion. Christianity has failed to preserve any morality amongst the populace. It's failed to be a fearsome ideology that people do not want to fight against. So Christianity as a religion has failed by extension. And the UK is now attempting to use civility and legality to fight against absolute savagery, which is ex an extremely inefficient way to fight. Efficiency wins and they will always lose. If you have people who can get whatever they want with three inches of sharpened metal, and your enemy against this is two-year court cases, human rights objections, a lawyer, a legal team, a tag, home leave, uh, cultural differences, how could you possibly win? They can go to Wilkinson's and spend £2.50 and get whatever they want. You spend millions and millions and millions, and you can't even beat the guy. It is an inefficient system, and they are going to lose. The general populace are afraid to speak. They're afraid to stand up and talk about the true issues. There are people who are exploiting the UK because of its softness, because it is a soft target. Hard times. We know this one and how that all ends. And the UK is at the decline of its empire, and there is nowhere for it to go but down. There is no way they can possibly fix it because the populace itself are not acknowledging the problem to its true extent because they're matrix-minded and the news says it's not that bad. And they're also not hard-heartened enough to fix it. We live in Dubai, sorry, we're in Dubai now, where you have 200 different nationalities and 85% immigrant rate and zero crime. Do you know why? Because people fear the law. It's kind of like if you walk into someone's house and it's pristinely clean, when you finish with your cup, you'll take it out. But if you walk into someone's house and it's a shithole, when you finish with your cup, you leave it on the table. Who cares? It's a shithole. And that's the problem we have with the UK. Now, when you walk into Dubai, everyone behaves so you behave. When you walk into England, nobody behaves. So why the fuck would you behave? And nobody's scared of the law. Nobody's scared of their religion. Nobody's scared of the average English man. And it's actually a shame because the British were a warrior nation, perhaps the best in the world at it. The average English-British man is too busy fighting against his fellow man for some football game as opposed to fighting against anything important. The whole nation head to toe has failed, whether it's the way men interact with women, the way that children are raised, the things they teach in school, the family unit, marriages, the legal system, the financial system, the judicial system, the political system, the fact you cannot walk down the street alone at night with a nice watch that you worked your life off your life for without getting stabbed to death by somebody who wasn't even born there proves that it is a failed nation state. And I absolutely not recommend anybody with any money to fucking leave. This show is called Disruptors. What does the word disruptive mean to you, Andrew? I like the idea that disruptive makes people think, right? Everyone's on this train track and it's leading everywhere it's supposed to lead down the matrix pre-agreed schedule. And all of a sudden there's a tree trunk and it has to stop and you have to think. My primary goal when I speak is to make people think. 
This is why I am deliberately provocative sometimes. Sometimes this is why I swear, like we discussed earlier, because by saying things that jolt people's brains a little bit, they might slow down and think and absorb. If I sit and I don't talk as aggressively or quickly or compendiously or concisely, or if I don't swear, then it's very easy for it to go in one ear and out the other. So my talking style is designed to disrupt. So it seems like I'm on the exact right show in the place I'm supposed to be. <laughs> Amen. I'm really grateful you've taken all this time out of your very busy life for us on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, bro. Andrew Tate, thank you very much. I have a question for you before we end. Yeah, sure. What's the one thing I've said today that you disagree with most? Uh, property. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> property millionaire disagrees with me. <laughs> funny, funny enough. Yeah, 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 property. I agree that we don't really own everything we think we own. Yeah. But, you know, I have hundreds of properties in my city. Yeah. Um, and I've worked hard to build those, and I know the amount of money it makes for me, and I've seen them go up in value. When I, I started buying 50 grand sheds. Wow. Um, you know, and, and they've all gone up three times in the last 15 years. Peterborough, not far from where you were yeah, born, yeah, Luton, yeah, yeah. just up the road. Um, I, I, you've, I have always believed in owning your own home yeah. because I, I think that asset you, you can leverage because yeah. you can use it as collateral and it can get you started. But I do see your point and I think society has changed whereby you're right, you only need a laptop now and you can create content and you can be more mobile. Yeah. And I think 10 years ago, I'd have been completely with what you've said. I'm a bit older, I've got kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. having a really nice home that you own. Completely. You rent somewhere, you can't do what you want to, you have to have shitty carpets, That's true. That's you know, true. making a, a, an oasis, like this is my castle, I fucking own this place and I'm gonna build my empire from this castle. I get it. And I've got that at home. I get it. Um, but I, I enjoyed our discussion and I think you probably um, swung me a little bit on the freedom part. Yeah. Um, that would be the only thing though, but no, I think that um, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think you make a, a lot of good points. I think you're very misunderstood. Thank and you. I wanted to give you three hours to talk without fucking interrupting you, Piers <laughs> fucking Morgan. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I also appreciate that we had a conversation, we had different points of view, and neither of us are calling for the other one to be censored because mm. we're not feral psychopaths, which is also nice. Yeah. You know? Isn't that the baseline of inter interaction between grown-up adults? Mm. Isn't that the baseline of humanity and civilization as a whole? discussions between people and differing points of view. I love to sit and talk to people I agree with and disagree with. And mm. I've never called for any of my enemies to be censored in any regard. The people who are trying to censor me are genuinely enemies of freedom and evil. And I appreciate you uh, allowing me to speak. It means a lot to me. And um, yeah, when I ever come to England again, hopefully not for a while, but if it ever happens, <laughs> we'll have to grab a coffee. Yeah, that would be great. And could I ask you one question? Sure. Um, because I always want to improve in everything I do. Sure. Hardcore, sure. never satisfied. The only things about this interview I remember are the mistakes I feel that I made. Absolutely. Um, so um, how do you think I was as an interviewer and what could I do to improve? I think you did really, really well. Uh, I guess for the viewer at home, you could maybe ask things, you could try and disagree a little bit more. I don't think that would make it a better interview. I just think the way the algorithms work now that if you have disagreeable clips or short clips where we're hard disagreeing, it's good for the algo. Mm. That's the only answer I'll give. As an interviewer, yeah. nothing. But for the video as a whole, if you say some things which are semi-controversial, you can clip it up, put it on TikTok, push yeah. more traffic, and that, that works. That's the only advice, that's the only thing I can say. But all in all, I was very pleasantly surprised, to be honest, actually. It was good. You let me give my whole seven-minute answers. It was fantastic. Mm. So, uh, because I, I think that way, so it's very hard for me to make them short. Mm.
Thank you. Uh, I suppose I could have challenged a bit more. The one reason I didn't is flown all this fucking way. Don't want you to stand up and walk out. Like, Fuck me. <laughs> next time. Yeah. Next time. Yeah, actually, that would probably be a good clip. Yeah. Yeah. We've not got there yet. We've done what? Twelve hundred episodes. We've not got yet there yet. Where someone's walked out. And part of me wants it to happen, but I didn't want it to be yeah, this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they have digitally. Yeah, yeah, digitally. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yes, thanks for letting me speak. Uh, anyone who agrees with my ideas, there's there's three layers to stay in touch with me because of course I'm deleted from all mainstream social media. Firstly, you can find me on Rumble.com/TateSpeech, which is a YouTube alternative. Uh, I share all my ideas there completely for free. And Getter at Cobra Tate, which is a Twitter alternative. My ideas are there for free. I also have free advice and free ideas at CobraDate.com on my newsletter. You can go to the website and sign up completely for free. Every day I send an email with mindset and tips and tricks. Anybody who's interested in making more money is the real world, which can be found on CobraTape.com. And anybody who's interested in finding out the secrets of how money and influence and power can be used, there's the war room, which is on CobraTape.com. Thanks a lot, Andrew. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. So that concludes part three of the interview and conversation with the most hated man on the planet, Andrew Tate. However, there's still one more part to go in this four-part exclusive mini-series. Make sure you tune in to the next episode to listen to that. But before you go, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.